0: Morning. We're in the middle of our three-week series, Too Busy Not to, and um, my topic is Too Busy Not to Think. I thought I'd just show you something to get you thinking to start with. So watch the screens. Hi, my name is Leslie, and I challenge Ryan to make 50 different laughs in under one minute. So you want 50 laughs in a minute? <laughs> uh, <laughs> Time out, time out, time out, time out. What on earth do you think he was thinking when he thought up that challenge, 50 laughs in one minute? Do you know, I've been thinking quite a lot about thinking because that's what the subject of this morning's talk is. And the two most common references that you get when you think about thinking in normal conversation is you hear people say these two things. The first one they say is, what were you thinking? Okay, anyone ever said that to you? Usually it means, what, how did you put that outfit together or <laughs> what's going on with that? Or the other thing that people commonly say is, you think too much anyone ever said that to you what that usually is understood to mean is stop it i don't want to hear it i don't get it stop it but what do we actually spend our time thinking about i came across a website where people had been asked the very same thing and the answers were varied including things like what are we going to have for tea somebody a bit more creative uh, said why do we still make pennies when you can't buy anything with a penny which i thought was a fair point really Um, Other people were less profound, but perhaps more predictable. One guy just said, boobs. (laughs) I hope he's not anybody I know, but anyway. Other people were a bit more thought-provoking. Someone said, I have completely random wandering thoughts that are constantly running through my head. Another said, I like to think about tangible things, not ideas or concepts. Thinking about thinking is too conceptual for me. I lose interest. I would rather think about a chair or something. Not sure I've spent much time thinking about chairs, but someone else simply replied, why? Well, you might be wondering the same thing yourself by now, with an inward groan beginning to rumble about as you fear that this morning might turn into some really hard work. Others of you may already be carried away on your own personal stream of consciousness, in which case I've lost you already. But if you can stick with me, then I hope you'll find it useful. Who was it who said, I think, therefore I am? Descartes. Yes, some clever people thinking here. Descartes was a French philosopher who lived in the 1500s. And more accurately, what he actually said could be translated as, I am thinking, therefore I exist. That's a bit of a deep philosophical thought for a Sunday morning, isn't it? And I'm not sure I could fully explain that even if I tried. But I think what he's trying to say is that thinking is what makes us human. It's a vital aspect. Our ability to think is so powerful that, according to Descartes, if we were unable to do it, then we may even cease to exist. Other notable authors have also commented on the role of thinking. Oscar Wilde said, a man who does not think for himself does not think at all. While the American poet Ralph Waldo Emerson said, a man is what he thinks about all day long. Well, that might be good or it might be bad, hadn't it? If you think about a plate of chips all day long, it's not going to get you very far. Well, the Bible makes reference to thinking on numerous occasions and links the ability to think clearly with our spiritual development. For example, Proverbs 13 verse 16 says, wise people think before they act, fools don't. I wonder if we have those moments when we do something wrong or foolish, when we feel we really have become too busy to take time to think. Perhaps the reality is that we're too busy not to think. Most psychologists um, think that there are three components to the way in which we kind of exist. Thinking. Feeling. Feeling. and acting. And these things are linked together, and they run both ways. So it's a kind of a cycle. What we think, how we feel, and how we act are all connected together. I think in times gone by, there was a lot more emphasis on one of these aspects, and that's this one here there was a time certainly at the beginning of the uh, 20th century there was a whole load of new thinking going on and beyond that as well we had a great kind of wealth of thinking and and, uh, philosophical thought that was going on and I'm not saying we don't think now there's some really great thinkers around now too but it was very much about thinking and our thoughts then determining our actions I suspect that that's changed now these days where do you think we focus more often these days feeling yeah there's there's a big connection now that our feelings should inform our actions and this is the strongest link bef- between feeling and acting the difficulty is with that we have a tendency to miss out on the thinking we're not whole people if we're either thinking and acting alone or feeling and acting outside of thought processes and you know what in an age of technology i don't know about you but I find myself sometimes struggling with concepts and then I do what everybody does. I look it up on Google and there's the answer. But actually what it does is it bypasses the opportunity for me to think something through for myself. So what was God thinking? Does God think? And if so, what does God think about? Well, the reality is and was and will always be that God is thinking about us. I love the story of creation and those verses that talk about the spirit of God hovering over the waters. I love to think of this as God thinking before he acted, chewing over the design of a duck-billed platypus or figuring out just how long you can make a giraffe's neck before it actually falls over. <laughs> he designed creation out of a thoughtful process. It didn't just appear. He thought about it, planned it, planned us, man, how do I know God thinks? Well, Genesis 1, verse 26 says, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And that included the ability to think, feel, and act. Psalm 139, verse 17 says, How precious are your thoughts to me? How precious are your thoughts about me, O God? They cannot be numbered. I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And Psalm 8, verse 4 says, What are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care about them, yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honour. We are constantly on God's mind. We are his first thought, his last thought, his longest thought and every thought in between. So God thinks and we think, but are we thinking the same thing? Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. We are made in the image of God, but we are not God. The best example I can think of to illustrate this comes from a little insight into my world. Um, and. Josh please forgive me if I embarrass you while we talk about this but um, hopefully I won't do I've been thinking a little bit more about food because you know food's a bit of a haphazard affair in our household especially when Leon's away um, because I don't think quite like other people think about food most people think about nice tasty meals I'm really not bothered to be honest I don't care I'm not very interested as long as it's edible then that's fine by me Apart from, I do think in food groups. Okay, so being a nice, healthy nurse, I think about, I need a portion of protein, hopefully low fat, so we can make sure our arteries are healthy. I want a nice portion of carbohydrate, preferably high in natural fibre, because that's very good for us as well. And then I want a lovely big portion of fruit and vegetables, um, hopefully five a day, because we all know that's what the government recommends we should eat. Okay, so this is my insight into the food world. The only slight problem with that is that I really am not bothered what combination that appears in. So you could end up with a tin of sardines, some raw cauliflower, and a pile of couscous. See where I'm going? It's good. It's good food. It's nutritious. I can live on it. It'll keep me hairy. Hairy? I hope not. (laughs) It'll keep me healthy. But what it won't do is it won't really create much enjoyment and it certainly doesn't in our household. Josh actually said to me this week, mum, you know, most people kind of shop with some kind of meals in mind. (laughs) They don't just kind of buy food and open the fridge and then we eat whatever falls out. (laughs) Don't worry Josh, dad's back soon. So how do we bridge the gap between one way of thinking and another? Whose criteria do we use? Should I use my criteria when it comes to making meals or should I use other people's criteria, those who perhaps have more taste than I? How do we bridge the gap between different ways of thinking? How can we make sure that our thinking is in line with God's? Well, there can only be one answer. We have to learn to understand the Bible in ways of real depth. We need to understand what God had in mind for us. And the only way we can do that is if we really understand the Bible and we rely on the Holy Spirit to help us. Psalm 36 verse 6 says, I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. You have to develop your own relationship with God. Take time to think through the issues that life presents us with God in mind, using the templates that the Bible provides to guide our thoughts, feelings and actions. Let's pause for a minute and watch a short video clip. The interviewer is asking members of the public to tell him what they think about the idea of absolute truth. Uh, is there absolute truth? I asked you first. Oh, no, no, there's not. Nothing. Yeah? yeah oh. I believe in absolute truth. Where does absolute truth come from? Um, you can help here. I could, I could Yes, you could. Um, that's a good question. That's a good question. Truth comes from I think inside, from your mind and your heart. Whatever you feel is right. So absolute truth is is inside of you. Yeah. Do you believe in absolute truth? Sure. Yeah, I do. What is an absolute truth? Something that's universal. All right. And where does that truth come from? Um, it comes from the society. So what if the society changes its mind? Then the absolute truth changes. Doesn't that mean it's relative? Uh, Everything's relative, though. If truth is relative, what is its basis? It's probably relative to who you are, what you consider truth to be. Everybody's definition of truth is different. All right. So then, if truth is relative, right, and you you have your truth, and I have mine, and you have yours, how do we figure things out? There's no no standard. There's no way. No one's out there that's... (laughs) high enough for anything to say, okay, this is truth, you gotta run by this, you know? Like, people say the Bible's true, like, people will go and worship it and say it's true, but I really don't see any, like, real proof that it's true, that, like, that Jesus Christ was living and that all that went on, like the crucifixion, what was it, crucifixion? Yeah, all that stuff, I don't, I don't, Uh, yeah, I don't get how people believe in God, you know, when, Nobody's ever seen them. I'm sure if you believe in something a lot, you can prove it. Like, if someone is very strict on their belief, then they can definitely prove it. I'm pretty sure. Or it's false. Or you've come, if you come if there's two people arguing about something, about, you know, if it's truthful or not, then one of them has to win, hopefully, in that, you know, conversation. So, yeah, there's an absolute truth, I think. In your opinion, there's, there's nothing that is true that is beyond your understanding. No, I wouldn't say that. What would you say? I would say that I carry around my truths with me wherever I go, and sometimes I come in contact with other truths that I think are more true than my truths, so I can adopt other people's truths. <laughs> Does that make sense? There's nothing that's absolutely true. Um... Right. Then what is the standard for truth? Uh, it's all based on, in my opinion, it's like cultural customs. What is the basis for truth? Your experiences, the situation. I think truthfulness is through somebody's own perspective. Mm-hmm. So if truth is a, a human characteristic, then is there anything outside of human understanding that could be true? Um, I do kind of It's kind of getting kind of deep. <laughs> With where does human come from Who, um, how did human get created you know it's the same question as that it's a question that can be answered no matter how you try you can answer that question there's so many questions you can answer like that like this one right now like absolute truth like talk about gravity talk about the sun being hot. where does it come from we can answer that question absolute truth comes from uh your your own beliefs when you examine things that you want to believe in you eventually. End up in, you know, in a certain set of beliefs where you get your absolute truth. Mm-hmm. So, is absolute truth inside of you? Yeah. Absolute truth is what you make it for yourself. It won't be the absolute truth for somebody else, and for yourself, it won't be that absolute truth for you. But doesn't it make it relative, in the sense that if it's true for you but not true for me yeah it- it, it, it's very relative and that, this is why you know everybody's on their own individual journey to find the absolute truth for themselves it's an individual basis okay do you believe in absolute truth yeah. yes all right and where does that come from where does absolute Where truth does the belief come from or absolute truth where does absolute truth come from god what does that suggest for our lives if, if absolute truth comes from God? It means you have to believe in God and trust in God, and therefore absolute truth. Oh my goodness, that was painful, wasn't it, trying to watch people thinking about stuff they hadn't thought about before. Aren't you glad that God gave us a template for our thoughts? lost were some of those people when they were asked to think about something that had no foundation. Is that absolute truth? Is it relative truth? Is it subjective truth? They were just completely lost. And the Bible is our guide as we journey with God, our frame of reference as we think through God's plan for humanity. It's only by engaging our own thoughts that we develop wisdom and maturity. Although the thoughts of others can be really helpful, if we think we can bypass the work involved in doing our own thinking and grow spiritually in the same way, we're fooling ourselves. We can't just feel and act. We're not made that way. We're made in the image of God and we were made to think. So what are you thinking? I wonder what you're thinking right now. Perhaps it's just as well I can't hear your thoughts. Or maybe some of you feel exhausted by the effort of trying to concentrate already. So I'm going to give us all a little rest. And what I'd like you to do is I'd like for all of us just to sit absolutely quietly, to close our eyes, and for one minute, think about absolutely nothing. Okay? One minute, quiet as you can, absolutely nothing. Some of you are thinking, gosh, that's a long minute. Okay. Anybody fallen asleep? If there's anyone sleeping next to you, nudge them. Okay. How many of you managed to think about nothing? Okay. All right. Well, here's honesty time. What were you thinking? Okay. Just quick answers. Whatever popped into your head at that moment A drop in a pond, ooh. Black and white. white. God, Mm, good. Anybody else a bit more, kind of? (laughs) There's such deep philosophical thoughts we've got up there. I think I've scared off the ones that were thinking about their dinner. Anybody thinking about dinner? No? <laughs> no? I was thinking about thinking about Trying to think about nothing, absolutely. Anything else? On the back row, anybody back there like to tell me what they were thinking? No, oh, you see, you're all scared now, aren't you? Because they're so deeply philosophical. Either that or they're all asleep, one or the other. Anybody else got anything they'd like to add? No, or you're all being very well behaved. I think you must know it's church and it's Sunday morning. There are lots of different thoughts that pop into our head, aren't they? When we, when we just clear our mind, there's stuff that wanders through that relates to all kinds of things. They can be images, they can be about ourselves, they can be about other people, be about all kinds of things. But there are three main groups. And three main groups, I think, Reflect the three categories God, ourselves, and others. Most of the time, our thinking involves one of those three components. And a bit like the cycle we saw earlier, these should be, in a healthy way, interconnected. But I wonder if sometimes what happens is that we spend quite a lot of time maybe thinking about ourselves, or maybe quite a lot of time thinking about others. But I wonder how often God sometimes falls out of that loop. If you were to stop the running commentary in your head at any given time, I wonder how often the thought you stopped it at in your day would be about God. I wonder how often, if we stopped our thinking, that our thought would be around something that was related to God's frame of reference or actually fell outside of that. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with thinking about any of those aspects. We don't have to think just about God all the time. And clearly, you know, we have to think about ourselves. Uh, Peter, in 1 Peter 1 verse 13 says, so think clearly and exercise self-control. You know, we must be self-aware in order to be able to know and understand what triggers our thoughts, feelings and actions so that we can exercise the level of self-control the Bible encourages. If you don't think about it, you can't do it. But if we only think about ourselves, we run the risk of becoming self-indulgent. Janet talked a couple of weeks ago, didn't she, about the L'Oreal advert and the I'm worth it kind of philosophy that filters through all of our lives. If we only thought about ourselves, that would be rather like living on just carbohydrate forever. You might stay alive, but you're not going to be very healthy. In the same way, there's nothing wrong with thinking about others. But if we make others our primary focus without any understanding of how we relate to others on a personal level, we'll find it really difficult to form real relationships that reflect God's intention for mankind. That we should be in relationship, that we shouldn't be alone. C.S. Lewis observes that true friendship is born at that moment when one person says to another, What? You two? I thought I was the only one. I remember the exact moment more than 15 years ago, um, one of my closest friendships was formed. I was sat over there on a Sunday morning wrestling with my then two little boys who had been particularly difficult to manage and I was feeling excluded because I'd missed out on the service and I'd felt tired because I hadn't slept the night before and somebody who I knew a little bit came up and tapped me on the shoulder and just said these words, it's really hard isn't it? And at that moment, I knew that somebody else thought like me. Somebody else understood. They too had been in that place where they'd thought, am I going to be able to do this? Will I ever sleep again? The answer to that was no, really, but anyway. (laughs) Is there any point me even being in church? And it was that connection in our thinking that prompted her to act and come across and make a connection with me. And you know, we're still good friends and I'm not saying that our thoughts are always the same thoughts or that our feelings are identical or even that we always act in the same way. But the fact that God remains central in our relationship and we both try to keep within a biblical framework means our friendship remains strong. The Bible encourages us often to pay attention to our relationships, to remain thoughtful in demonstrating God's love to one another. Instructing us not only to love one another, which of course is a feeling, but in 2 Peter 3 verse 1 we're also reminded we have to think. Peter says, this is my second letter to you dear friends and in both of them I've tried to stimulate your wholesome thinking and refresh your memory. The majority of the letters we find in the New Testament include instructions about how to be not only compassionate but also thoughtful in our relationships. You know, I've been involved in church leadership now for many years, and one fact which I'm absolutely certain of is that we rarely wound each other intentionally. We're often just clumsy, thoughtless. Winston Churchill once said, To build may have to be the slow and laborious task of years, but to destroy can be the thoughtless act of a single day. How many of us have been hurt or hurt others by simply not thinking? We're always on God's mind. Perhaps we need to try and respond in the same way, by thinking about others the way God thinks about us, using his frame of reference. We've talked about self-reflection and thinking about others, but what about our God reflections? What is our relationship with him like? How much do we really know about him? Maybe over time we've lost a clear sense of who he is, and now we only have routine ritual. I'm just going to read to you a few verses from Isaiah 44, and they're verses 13 to 20. Just listen to the story here. Then the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern on it. He works with chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts it in a little shrine. He cuts down cedars. He selects the cypress and the oak. He plants the pine in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood to make a fire. With it, he warms himself and bakes his bread. Then yes, it's true, he takes the rest of it and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat and to keep himself warm. He says, ''Ah, that fire feels good.'' Then he takes what's left and makes his God, a carved idol. He falls down in front of it, worshipping and praying to it. ''Rescue me,'' he says. ''You are my God.'' Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed and they cannot see. Their minds are shut and they cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect. It's just a block of wood. I burned half of it for heat and used it to bake my bread and roast my meat. How can the rest of it be God? Should I bow down to worship a piece of wood? The poor deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, Is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Wow. That's really powerful, isn't it? What a powerful thing. How easy it is to get confused and redirected in our thinking. The woodcarver did what all those around him were doing with the wood at the time and it led to the inability to notice he was worshipping a piece of wood which had also stoked his fire. He lost the capacity to think and the result was that he replaced God with a chopping board. He spent How much time do we spend really focusing on God? His nature, his greatness, his goodness, the reality of what Jesus did for us, the power of his Holy Spirit invested in us. How much time do we actually spend thinking about him? Is that just a Sunday morning activity? Is that something that we do all the time? How much time do we spend thinking about him? So what could we be thinking? What could we, should we be thinking about? How can we ensure that we keep God at the forefront of our minds? How can we make sure that we view ourselves and others through God's eyes? Philippians 4 verses 8 to 9 says this, And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. Fix your thoughts, or in more traditional translations, it says, think on these things. What does that actually mean, think on these things? Well, if you're anything like me now then you'll be getting that kind of groany feeling where you think oh no now we're going to go into some of that think happy thoughts and all will be well theology. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. This isn't going to turn into a talk on positive thinking here and I'm not going to tell you that it's easy. Sometimes I think as Christians we are tempted to wander into Peter Pan territory where we imagine that thinking happy thoughts with a sprinkling of godly fairy dust will help us to fly. Yes, of course we should count our blessings and try to remain positive in our minds, but it's not an easy thing to achieve. And Philippians says that thinking about what is true and honourable and right is the right thing to do, but it's hard. And we also know that sometimes something that may be true may not be lovely. Something that's honourable may not always be right. So how do we manage the difficult stuff in times where our thinking is confused, where we feel overwhelmed, or when there's contradictions? Well, we need to think. And I mean really think. Gill's exposition of the Bible defines the meaning of think on these things as meditate upon them resolve them in your minds seriously consider them and reason with yourself about them in order to put them into practice that doesn't sound quite so easy now does it meditate resolve seriously consider reason with that's not a sprinkling of fairy dust that that's about seriously considering issues it's about allowing our minds to be transformed as it says in Romans 12:2, transformed by the renewing of our minds. Barnes' commentary goes even further. He says, Let them be the object of your careful attention and study them so as to practice them. Think about what they are. Think on the obligation to observe them. Think on the influence which they would have on the world around you. Wow. Think on our obligation to observe them. Think on the influence they would have on the world around you. What kind of relationship do you think we would actually have with God if we could think on these things? If we could think about what is true, what is honourable, what is right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, worthy of praise? How differently would I act if I really grasped the truth of what has been accomplished for my sake on the cross through the death of Jesus? The extent to which I have been made right with God. The depth of his forgiveness towards me. And how much more would I care for others if I could see them through God's eyes as lovely? But this isn't going to happen through wishful thinking. Sprinkling of fairy dust but hard work and determination. Henry Ford once said, thinking is the hardest work there is, which is the probable reason why so few engage in it. Have we bypassed the thinking stage in between all of that feeling and acting? Do we imagine we can leave the thinking to someone else, perhaps someone we consider to be better at it than us? No, we all have the capacity And the responsibility to think for ourselves and others. The demands of life are too great and we are definitely too busy not to think. We have to think. We're obliged to think if we really want to understand the depth of God's love towards us. The purpose of our lives and his longing for his relationship to be restored with his children who remain lost. This isn't just about us. This is about those who don't know God yet. So what do we do? Where do we start on this journey towards thinking? Well, perhaps we could start today by acknowledging our responsibility to train ourselves. Romans 12 verse 2 says, Don't copy the behaviour and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. Transformation is most often a process, not an instantaneous act. Perhaps we can start by noticing our existing thoughts and by reflecting on God's word and allowing him to change them one thought at a time. you notice in your notes there's a slip of paper with some writing on it. You can fish around and find it. And there's that verse from Philippians on it. And then it asks you, what is your first thought, your last thought, your longest thought? Now it would be madness to imagine that we could track all of our thoughts during every moment of the day. And for some of us, we might actually feel a little bit afraid of acknowledging what's really going on in our head at times. But if we truly want to feel what God feels and act in the way that God wants... We have to make a start. The band's just going to come up and play for us again now. And as they just play quietly to start with, I'd like you just to take a couple of minutes to sit and think for a moment. Not about your first thought this morning. I suspect that's probably gone by now. Too much in the past. And we don't know what our last thought this evening is going to be yet because we haven't got there. But I wonder if you could ask God to show you, what is my longest thought the most commonly reoccurring thought that's in my head. And maybe as we take time to think about that and write that down, we can begin asking God, please God, help me to think. Help me to think differently, to think more like you. Transform me through changing my thinking to be more like you. I'm going to cross, just stand.